All right, welcome back, everyone. All right, welcome back. As we come back and settle down together, would you open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 10? Daniel chapter 10. So if you've been with us for the study in the book of Daniel, uh, we're getting toward the end. Uh, Today we'll do chapter 10. The next two weeks we'll do chapter 11. Then the week after that, chapter 12. And we will be concluding the book of Daniel at that point. And then that following week, which is actually the week before Palm Sunday, um, we're actually going to do a teaching on the rapture of the church, uh, just to kind of set the stage for us. Because after going through these prophecies, uh, which have already been talking about, and certainly last week was hinting very strongly at uh, that period of time, that approaching that 70th week of Daniel, the rapture of the church is one of those things that has to happen before the tribulation actually begins. It's one of the triggers that enables the the tribulation to occur. So we're going to talk about that. Then we'll have Palm Sunday and Easter, and then the next Sunday we'll start the book of Revelation. So that is where we are headed here. So this morning in Daniel chapter 10, let's read through it together. It's actually not a very long chapter, but it is packed with wonderful things for us. So Daniel chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, A message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. Remember, that was his uh, Babylonian name, excuse me. Uh, The message was true, but the appointed time was long. And he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth. Nor did I anoint myself at all until till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is, the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with, the gold, with gold of Uphaz. His body was like beryl. His face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, And no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with with my face to the ground. Then suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, Daniel, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. And then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, 
your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And suddenly one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I've come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. Continuing on to verse 1. Also in the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Lord, please add your blessing, your understanding, just as you caused Daniel to understand, would you cause us to understand? And would you open our eyes to things that we might behold them, great and wonderful things from your word? Illumine, enlighten, speak, God, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't usually lead off with the title, but the title today is The Invisible Battle. Daniel, as we know, back in chapter 9, had been uh, praying and waiting on the Lord, and you know the Lord had been revealing things to him. Uh, back in chapter 7, which starts the prophetic section, uh, the Lord uh, uh, gave him a word. He spoke a vision to him um, about the future and about the coming kingdoms. And in all of these prophecies, God uh, spoke about the near and the far, and prophecy almost always has sort of a near and a far far aspect or fulfillment. So in chapter 7, when you open there and you read that, he dates like when he got that vision when God spoke to him. And then a a year or two later, chapter 8, in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, another marker in time, God revealed more to him. So God sort of revealed things to him as God willed, certainly, but as Daniel could handle them, he had to to receive them and then pray upon them and meditate upon them and determine, Lord, what do you want me to do with the things that you have revealed to me? And by the way, whenever God reveals things to someone, to us, we are supposed to be sharing those things with others in some way. And in Daniel's case, it was to write it down for us, for all who would come after him. And then in chapter 9, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, and we looked at that over the last two weeks, concluding last week with that amazing 70-week prophecy 
so detailed, so filled with, with God saying the future is laid out. The future is laid out. It's determined. And so Daniel had heard all of those things and now we see in chapter 10, verse one, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. So we're now about two years or so after chapter nine, the, the vision that God spoke to him. And chapter 10 is really the gateway to the rest of the prophecies, to the rest of the book of Daniel. It sets up what's going to happen in chapter 11 and chapter 12. So this is sort of a a preparatory or an interlude kind of a thing. Uh, So Daniel has seen these amazing visions. And in chapter 10, verse 1, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel And notice we said sometimes, all all the way back from the beginning, that sometimes he's written sort of in the third person. And so he's sort of making this an official kind of introduction. Uh, Was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. So Daniel was his Hebrew name. Belteshazzar was his Babylonian name. The message was true. I certainly hope so, right? It came from the Lord. So it was true. It was truth. But the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. So God was helping him to understand these things. And as we think about all the visions that God had now revealed at this point in his life to Daniel, if you think of any one of those things being revealed to us about the future, just sort of that, that heaviness that there's armies coming and they're going to invade your land and your country and uh, they're going to do this and that. And then at the same time as that's happening, I want you to look, Daniel, sort of, sort of skip down through the annals of time, not to a, a, you know, like a certain number of years, but just here's what's going to happen at the end, at the end of time. Here's all the things that are going to happen. This has been weighing upon Daniel's heart. Remember last week we talked about Daniel having been reading in the book of the prophet Jeremiah and he understood that the 70 years was nearing to an end and as Daniel chapter 9 occurred, uh, there were probably two to three years from the end of the 70 year period of exile. Remember they were sent there because of their disobedience to God. And so Daniel now at the end here as, as God's continuing to reveal things to him, He said that the message was true and the appointed time was long. Here's what's happened at this point in time. We're beyond the 70 years at this point in time. And the first wave of exiles had been going back to the city of Jerusalem and to the land of Judah. So Daniel would be between 85 and 90 at this point. This is the the very end of his life now as he receives the visions given to him in chapters 10, 11, and 12. And by this time, the first wave of exiles had returned. And if you want to know about that, you go to the book of Ezra. And so Ezra chapters 1 and 2 had already uh, happened. And God had been sending people back. And if you go and you read the book of Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther, and all of those are about that period of time, What you find out that has happened at this point in time is the people, of course, again, had been in exile. They'd been in captivity for 70 years. And people like Daniel, the older generation, they had been born in Judah. They were born in Israel. And so they knew 
what it was like. They had seen the temple. They understood the worship of God. But all the people who came after them who were born in captivity, they didn't know those things. They only knew what was passed down to them from the elders, from the older generation. And as is often the case, uh, things tend to become diluted or not as important to subsequent generations as they are to that generation that lived and experienced it. You know, we can relate in this country, can't we? The people who lived through, for example, World War II and the Korean War and even the Vietnam War, that generation is dying off. And those people, if you've ever met one of those folks who was a World War II veteran or a Korean War veteran or whatever, when you talk to them, their, their eyes tear up because of their, their brothers that they, they lost. They were in a foxhole and the one beside them got hit in the head with a bullet and things like that. And they're like, oh my gosh. But their patriotism, their devotion to the country is like amazing. It's off the chart. Now you think about the generation today. Does anyone really care about this country? You see how it's kind of devolved? And, and people aren't signing up for the military the way they used to and you know, thank God we haven't been in wars and conflicts other than little regional battles. But the point is that this has been diluted down through the generations. Now, what happened in Daniel's time is as the, the call was given to say, okay, now we can start to take refugees back and go to populate the land. In Ezra 1 and 2, only a small group of people went. Most of them stayed behind. It wasn't like everybody left. Okay, they weren't given the boot. They weren't all kicked out. They were given the option to leave. And so after that first two years or three years or so in the book of Ezra, what happened is that there was just very little enthusiasm. The people went back. They didn't really have a mind to work. And they were doing this, that. And the other thing that the people under Ezra went back to build the temple. That was their mission. That was their focus. But we believe Daniel now, being in the position that he's in as an emissary of the king, is probably getting reports back. And so we're saying, what is it that was driving what he says in verses two and three? In those days, I, Daniel, I was mourning a full three weeks and I ate no pleasant food, no meat, no wine came into my mouth, nor that I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. And what caused Daniel to mourn and to eat no food? And we believe it was because he was hearing what was happening with that first wave of exiles and that they were, they were not succeeding. There was no enthusiasm. They weren't doing very well as a group of people. And we believe he was mourning. Now remember in chapter 9, Daniel was mourning and weeping for the sin of his people. So this man has a very broken and a compassionate heart. He cares about people. He cares about how people think about God. His own people, of all people, should be thinking about God. They should be honoring God. And so they are a broken people, and Daniel is is mourning. And here's something that the prophet Haggai, if you'd like to turn there, um, wrote. Now, with the prophets, we're not going to get into all this this morning. There are prophets that are pre-exile or pre-exilic, and prophets that are post-exile or post-exilic. Uh, the exile being the 70 years of captivity. Haggai was a post-exilic prophet. And so in Haggai chapter 1, we have a context of what was happening in Jerusalem during this time. And I'm just going to read a portion of it to you. You can follow along if you like. In Haggai chapter 1, in the second year of King Darius in the sixth month, 
on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Now remember, they're back there to build the Lord's house. Uh, Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? So they had gone back, but the first thing they did was build their own houses. Their mission was to build the temple, to rebuild the temple, to, to restore the worship to God, because the worship of God was central to the life of the Jewish people. And so they had not done that. They went back first and built their houses. And listen to what the prophet says. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because my house, that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. And they had just been 70 years in captivity because of their disobedience. God gave them a command, go back, restore and rebuild the temple. And now as they had gone back, rather than being obedient to God, which is what got them in their situation in the first place, Immediately, they began focusing on themselves and their needs rather than doing what God had given to them to do as a task. So this, I believe, is why Daniel was mourning. Uh, 50,000 Jews had left, but they weren't doing the work of the Lord. They were serving themselves. Verse 4, now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of Uphaz. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. Now, previously in chapter 9, the angel Gabriel had appeared to Daniel And he had come to strengthen him and to bring a message. Here we are years later, and Daniel sees another man. Now, as we go along in this passage, there's uh, this, a man, uh, he called him one like the son of man, touches him. And if if you get into this and you read it, there are people who say that there's only one person who appeared here, and that was uh, the angel Gabriel, most likely, although he's not named. Or they say it's perhaps someone else. 
Um, I believe, as I read and study this, that there are two people that appeared here, and we'll break it down as we go through. In what Daniel is describing here, I believe he has an encounter with none other than Jesus himself. A pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, and sometimes you may hear people call this a theophany or a Christophany. And you say, why do you say that? Well, if you look at verses 4, 5, and 6, and look at the description there. Now, as you're looking at that description, I'm going to read to you from the book of Revelation, chapter 1, where the Apostle John sees a vision of none other than Jesus himself. And so again, keep your eyes on the, the, the passage of Daniel, and I'm going to read to you from Revelation, chapter 1. So, John was in the the spirit on the Lord's day. He heard a voice behind him. This is Jesus saying, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. And so he's saying, I'm giving you this this prophecy, this letter, write it down. And then in in Revelation 1.12, it says, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man clothed with the garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And then his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in his strength." Very, very similar, not exact, but very similar to what he saw, what Daniel saw as this man appeared to him. And again, I believe it's Jesus himself appearing. And in verse 7, I, Daniel, alone saw the vision for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. So as Daniel was there and he saw what I believe was this pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, he, he fell down. He was in holy awe. He was, he was just struck with wonder. And yet the men didn't see the vision, but they felt the presence, or so it seems. And so they fell down and they fled. Therefore, I was left alone, verse 8. And when I saw this great vision, uh, when, I le- when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. So in this moment, as Jesus is there appearing to him, he becomes undone. And this reminds me of Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah chapter 6 after he had been given a heavenly vision. And if you go there and read that vision, Isaiah in the first five uh, books or five, excuse me, five chapters there had You know, he was a prophet of God and he had been crying out to God and he longed for the presence of God. And here God reveals himself to him in Isaiah chapter six. And there he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated on his throne, the train of his robe filling the temple. And he describes the glory of God and in God's presence, he said there, uh, woe am I, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And this is what always happens when people encounter God. When you have a a genuine encounter with the Lord, when he reveals himself to you, and he still longs to do that, he still does that. 
The response is holiness and fear and awe and, and respect like you and I have never seen or given. So when I was left alone, I saw this great vision. My strength had left. My vigor was gone. I retained no strength. And yet I heard the sound of his words. And while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. So in that moment, he just, when he says sleep, I don't think he means that, you know, he fell asleep and he was snoring. But he was just so overwhelmed and all he could do is kind of turn his head to the ground and close his eyes. But he, he, he was so overwhelmed with the glory of God. And he says, suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. Now, whether at this point the person touching him was this man, the pre-incarnate Christ, or perhaps the angel Gabriel remains to be debated But I believe at this point, from from verse 10 on, we have the angel Gabriel there touching him, and I'll tell you why in a moment. And part of it has to do with that he said that he needed to call, you know, Michael, the archangel, to come and fight alongside him. I don't think Jesus would need help in his battle against Satan. Now, what's interesting is one person said this, and, and you know, this, this have, we saw this in the book of Acts, right? We, the number of times where, where Paul said, the Lord stood by me this night. When Paul was discouraged or he was about to enter some incredible trial. And the Lord will come alongside and encourage us in those times. You know, I, I have dreams on occasion and God does speak to me in dreams from time to time. And earlier this week, <clears throat> I had this crazy dream. And the crazy dream was just this battle. It was just like I was in a battle, and everywhere I turned, it was like, you know, you have something in your hand, and somebody knocks it out of your hand, and you can see there's just like this raging going on around you. And everywhere I turned, there was just, there was anger, and there was just, you know, this madness. And I wake up, and I'm like so unsettled, and I'm like, what is happening? And I think we need to understand something. We're going to get into this in just a moment, that there is an invisible battle, There's something going on behind the scenes. What Daniel is seeing here, what he's being privileged to have revealed to him is a spiritual appearance as Jesus revealing himself to him. And even whether it was Jesus or whether it was an angel, when angels reveal themselves to people, the same response happens. Why? Not because they're God, but because they've come from the presence of God. Remember, even with Moses, when he went up on the mountain, uh, he would come down and his face would be glowing and just have, from having been in the presence of God. And so he'd put a veil over his face, right? And so these angels come from the presence of God. They bring not just a message, angel means messenger, but they bring the presence of God. They bring the word of the Lord and the word of the Lord is the presence of the Lord. This, this is the presence of the Lord. And so Daniel, overwhelmed, And here's what one person said, when we know that Jesus is standing with us and fighting for us, we can accept any circumstance and accomplish any task he gives us. Apart from the prophetic significance, there is a sense in which Daniel's experience by the Tigris River conveys a lesson to all Christian leaders, really to everyone. There is a price to pay if we we want to see what God wants us to see and hear, what he is saying to us. 
Daniel didn't have this great vision early in his ministry, but at the end of a long and a fruitful life. Remember, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Spiritual leaders often see what others can't see and hear what they fail to hear. They must stand when others flee. They must receive God's message, even if it makes them feel weak and helpless. By seeing the greatness and the glory of God, Daniel was prepared to accept and record the prophetic message the angels brought. So Daniel certainly had been chosen to receive these things from the Lord and to write them down so that we might hear them. And know this, that because of Daniel's life, remember all the way back at chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 8, all the way back in the beginning as a very young man, probably 14 or 15 years old, Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's delicacies. How many of us, and I cannot raise my hand on this, how many of us, have been faithful since day one when we met Christ. And we could stand here today and say, I have been unwavering. And Daniel was. And this is why God gave him such rich experiences and allowed him to hear amazing things, why God chose to reveal himself to Daniel in the way that he did. And listen, if you and I hunger and thirst for the presence of God, the path to that, aside from setting aside time and getting into his word and praying and seeking his face, is to make ourselves holy, meaning we're willing to put away the things of the world, to lay things down. You know, these things are wonderful, aren't they? But they're a distraction. The TV clicker is a distraction. Schedules are a distraction. Everything today is such a distraction. But to those who will cut through all of that and and make the Lord their priority, God will reveal himself to you. So this hand touched him in verse 10. I believe it's the hand of Gabriel, can't prove it. But a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. Now three times in this chapter, Daniel will be touched by someone. Again, I believe it's the angel. The first time the hand touches him here, make note of this, it made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. So this first touch from what I believe is the angel brought to Daniel an even greater sense of holiness and reverence and awe. In verse 11, then he said to me, O Daniel, Man, greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And while he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Spurgeon said this, and this is not the first time Daniel's been told that he was loved or or beloved. Spurgeon said, I know of no greater blessing that can happen to any man or woman here than to be assured by the Spirit of God that they are greatly beloved of the Lord. Do you know that this morning? Do you know that God loves you? Do you know that you are His beloved? I know so many of us struggle with self-image and doubt and I'm not lovable and, and all those things. I get that. But to God, you're not. Whoever you are and wherever you are, 
God sets his love upon you. You see, it's not based on worthiness. It's not based on performance. It's not based on intellect. It's not based on what you've been able to achieve in life or the trajectory in life that you find yourself in. It's based on one thing and one thing alone. That's the sovereign, divine choice of God to look at you, to look at me, and to say, I love you. We are unworthy, for by grace you have been saved. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel. From the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. Daniel, just like he did at the beginning of his life, here he is, 85 to 90 years old. He set his heart to understand he still had an intense desire. He still had a passion for God. And all of the things that God had been revealing to him, he didn't go, well, I don't understand that. That's like way over my head, so whatever. You know, it's amazing. I'll write it down, but I don't know what it means. Daniel, no, he got on his knees and he was seeking God. And he said, God, what do these things mean? What am I supposed to do with them? And as God spoke to him, he, he sought God even more because he wanted to understand. He wanted to know God. And it also says there in verse 12, and to humble yourself before your God. You see, there's the other thing. There's humility. Humility is an attitude, but humility can also be reflected in a position, getting on our knees before God. Coming to God, asking, begging, God, please reveal yourself to me. And notice it says here, your words were heard. You see, God does hear our prayers. He didn't just hear Daniel's prayer. He does hear our prayers. But here's the thing. When we pray according to the will of God, when we seek God, when we cry out to him, he will reveal himself to us. He hears, he listens. And so often what God hears, which is something we need to learn to do in our lives, is he listens through the stuff to the heart. He cuts through to the heart. He's like, ah, there's a, there's, a, there's a person who's seeking me right there. I hear what they're asking for, but they don't need that. They need me. They don't need to have money in their bank account. They need to trust me. They don't need to have all the things they think they need to have. They need to trust me. They don't need to have health and wealth. They need to trust me. It's both the words and the attitude of the heart that God cares about. But the prince of the kingdom, verse 13, of Persia, withstood me. Now he's speaking about angelic beings and all of that. And the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, this is why we think it's Gabriel. Behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, and Michael is most often referred to as the archangel of God, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. So you get this sense that you see the earthly realm, and you see a map, and you see kingdoms and kings and all of that. But we're being given a description here of not what's happening in the earthly realm, but what's happening in the realm above it, so to speak, in the heavenly realm. And he seems to be saying here that over these kingdoms, there were princes or evil angels, Remember when Satan fell, he took a third of the angels of heaven with him. 
Now, people like to jump from this and say that there are territorial evil angels and all of that. That may be the case, but as far as I know, this is the only place in the scriptures where this is spoken of, so I would hesitate to jump to creating a doctrine based on this one passage. However, he is saying that there was something happening over these kingdoms. Remember, Daniel had been prophesying about these kingdoms. There was Babylon, then after that would would come the Medo-Persian Empire. Then after that would come the Greek Empire. Then after that would come the Roman Empire. So there was something happening behind the scenes and above the realm that you and I can see with our eyes. Remember Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. So there is always something happening in the spiritual realm that most of the time we can't see with our eyes. But if we are in the book and we know the Lord and we're reading and we're, we're studying and we're praying, God reveals himself and he allows us to see these battles. That's why I shared the dream with you I had this week because I felt like it was God saying, there's a raging battle going on around here. In fact, every single week, I just have this sense that, that over our church, just you know, I don't know about any other church out there, but that there's always a battle. There's a battle over the lives of people. There's a battle for your attention, for your affections toward the Lord. Uh, there's just always things going on. You have your own battles, I know, just like I have my own battles. But it's not about the battles, it's about the Lord. So he's saying here, Michael had to come. The battle had become so fierce. Michael, the archangel, had to come and assist him to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Again, one commentator said this, there may be hindering factors of which a praying Christian never knows nothing as he wonders why the answers to his requests are being delayed. Nevertheless, he is to keep on praying. It may be that he will not receive an answer because he has given up on the 20th day when he should have persisted to the 21st day. Remember, Daniel had been praying and fasting for 21 days, seeking God. And during this time, the messenger, Gabriel, we believe, was trying to get through. He was coming to reveal to Daniel. And as he was coming, he was hindered along the way. Even in the spiritual realm, there were bumps in the road. He couldn't get to Daniel the way he wanted. Now, angels can move at, I presume, the speed of light. But he was hindered for 21 days. What a battle. So there are spiritual forces in the realm we cannot see. And I want to take a moment to look at some of the scriptures that talk to us about this unseen realm. Because I think we forget sometimes about the realm, the spirit realm, the realm where the the heavenly battles take place. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul says very clearly, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly place. So he's saying to you and me as believers, our wrestling, our fight is not with one another. It's with these spiritual forces of darkness. Paul in Romans 8 says this about that spiritual realm, Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
And I think sometimes those spiritual battles come for that very reason, to, to convince us that we are separated from the love of God. In Colossians 1.16, Paul writes this of Jesus, For by him all things were created, that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Talking about that spirit realm again. Colossians 2 again, verse 13, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. When Jesus died on the cross, those nails, those three nails that held him to the cross, as it were, nailed the principalities and the powers, it says he disarmed them. It may sound a bit Pentecostal to say this, but we take victory over these things by the name of Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 3, Paul speaking again of Jesus Christ and his resurrection says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been, past tense, made subject to him. And in James chapter 3, just to kind of highlight how this spiritual battle takes place in our lives, he says in James chapter 3 verse 14, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This so-called wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where there are envy and self-seeking, confusion and every evil thing are there. Interesting, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul said, God is not the author of confusion. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable and gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You see, there's the spiritual battle illustrated in relationships. In James 4, he says, therefore submit to God. Resist the devil. Now why would we be told to resist the devil if the devil weren't there coming against us and tempting us and, and trying to mess with us. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He goes on to say, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Peter says in his epistle, 1 Peter 5, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's why we have to resist him. And then he says in 1 Peter 5, 9, resist, resist him, stand steadfast in the faith, 
knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your, by your brotherhood in the world. In other words, you're not the only one that Satan's messing with. He's messing with all of us. He and his evil angels, remember, Jesus said that he is the God of this age and he has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Paul writing to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians 11, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness all the way back to the Garden of Eden, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ, a battle for the mind. 2 Corinthians 11, that same chapter a little further down, and no wonder for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Talk about being deceptive. Have you ever seen Mission Impossible, the movies, you know, where they put the mask on and all that? Well, that's like Satan. He disguises himself and tries to pass himself off as someone that he is not. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers his evil angels, also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their work. So even, you get the sense here, don't you, that Satan's trying to infiltrate the church? I think he's done it. And then finally, just in these scriptures to kind of help attune your mind to the fact that there is a heavenly and a spiritual realm. In 2 Kings chapter 6, we find the prophet Elisha and there is a, a great army coming against him. So let me read this to you, Second Kings chapter 6. Therefore, he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God, this is Elisha's servant, arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Looking with eyes of physical, looking at what's happening around him. And so he, that is Elisha, answered, he said, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And at that point he said, did you start drinking early this morning? I mean, what's up with you? What are you talking about? And Elisha prayed, 2 Kings 6.17, and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Isn't that amazing? There was a physical battle, but in the spiritual realm, the battle had already been won. So there is a spiritual battle. I had wanted to take some time and go through Nehemiah chapters 4, 5, and 6 and just look at some of the examples there. And so I encourage you to do that later on your own. But in Nehemiah, uh, Nehemiah came after Ezra many years later and he was going back now that the temple had been built to, to rebuild the wall around the city. And so as Nehemiah was there trying to rebuild the wall and God had given him a directive to rebuild the wall just as Ezra had been given the directive to go back and to rebuild the temple... There were so many people that came against him, Sanballat, Tobiah, and other evil men. So as you read Nehemiah chapters 4, 5, and 6, to me that is a a visible illustration of Ephesians 6.10, that these principalities and these spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, and Nehemiah recognized it in the spirit, 
And he called them out and he says, no, we're not going to do what you're saying. They even came in the name of dignitaries and said, hey, we come by the power of whomever, some dignitary, and we order you to stop. And he says, no, we're not going to stop. Even to the point that Nehemiah had to have the people who were doing the work stand by with a trowel in one hand to rebuild the wall and a sword in the other so that they could be on the alert in case an attack came. That's how intense it was. Paul, again, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, listen to this. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. There is always a spiritual battle. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So Daniel has described this situation that happened in his life. The angel describing to him being detained in the spiritual realm by the evil princes. And now I've come, verse 14, to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. See, Daniel has received words just like this previously in chapter 7 and 8, and he's about to get more of the same. And when he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. In other words, he's like, here, here it comes again, Lord, here comes more of that heavy word about what's coming in the future. And suddenly... Verse 16, one having the likeness of the sons of men, again, we, I believe this is Gabriel, touched my lips. So the first time, remember, he had been touched and sort of reduced under the weight of holiness and reverence. And suddenly one having the likeness of men touched my lips, and then I opened my mouth and spoke. And this reminds me, again, of Isaiah in chapter 6, whereas he was there in the presence of God. And he saw God on his throne high and lifted up. And he said, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And then the Lord said to Isaiah, here, you know, who shall go for us? And Isaiah would just said, here am I, Lord, send me. And before he could be sent, what did the Lord do? He he took the tongs and he grabbed the coal from the altar, from the heavenly altar, and he touched his lips to purify his lips. What? Symbolizing that what he would speak would only be what God wanted him to speak. And here, Daniel says, uh, he had uh, touched my lips in verse 10. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, my Lord, because of uh, the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me. uh, And I have retained no strength. The idea here behind this word, the sorrows have overwhelmed him has the idea of twisting or writhing in pain or even the labors of childbirth. So this is how deeply involved Daniel was in hearing these things from God. And so how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. In other words, I'm hearing all this. I'm receiving all this. I've seen Jesus and I'm reduced to nothing. I'm just, I'm here in in a in a slump of flesh on the floor and I can't do anything. 
And then again, this one, having the likeness of a man, touched me the third time, and he strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, Daniel, second time he's been told he was beloved, fear not, peace be to you. Be strong, yes, be strong. Maybe you need to hear that today. Peace be to you and be strong. In the middle of what you're in, maybe it's nothing compared to what Daniel was experiencing, but you need it. You need the peace of God. And listen, you can never have the peace of God until you first have peace with God. And how do you have peace with God? You come to him and you believe in him. You don't get saved by praying a prayer. You get saved by believing, by believing on Jesus Christ. And so... Peace be to you, be strong, yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened. The word of God strengthened him and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. Okay, I'm ready to hear it now. I'm no longer overwhelmed. And then he said, do you know why I've come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. So he's tuning him in again. I got to go back to that spiritual battle. But I will tell you what is noted, notice, in the scripture of truth. Folks, there's only one scripture of truth. It's not the Book of Mormon. It's not some other holy book. It's this book. It's the Bible. I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince, speaking of the battle that he has to fight. You see, the word of God was written in heaven before time began. It may have been written over a period of 1,500 years, 66 books, 40 authors, three different continents. But from God's point of view in heaven, it was already written. And so the word of God is being spoken to Daniel. And Daniel is receiving this word, but he's overwhelmed by it. And we're going to continue to see as we go through chapters 11 and 12. Daniel continues to be overwhelmed by the word of God and the prophecies that are coming to him. And remember last week, he was told in chapter 9 to seal up the prophecy for it was yet for the future. And the book will end by by God saying the same thing to him again, that these things that you don't yet understand are for the future. So in this invisible battle, Daniel was allowed to come into that realm. He was brought into it and it was revealed to him. And his heart is now being prepared to receive the intensity of the message of chapters 11 and 12. God had prepared him because he was seeking God, because he was holy, not of his own accord, but simply because he had determined that he wanted to honor God, that he wanted to seek God. And so the question for you and me today is, do we want to see him? Do we want to know him? Do we want to draw near to him? If we do, he will reveal himself to us. God will reveal himself to anyone who is a seeker. Anyone. And we have to learn to not look at people with our eyes, but with the eyes of faith. You know, when you see someone who's tatted head to toe, Don't don't look at them in disgust. Look at them as someone who needs Christ. When you see people who are gay or lesbian, don't look at them with disgust. Look at them as people who need Christ. 
Don't look at people who have committed, committed heinous crimes as you know, murderers or whatever they are. Look at them as people who need Christ. You know, God has brought great liberty to people who are in prisons, who are on death row. We've heard so many stories of people who were terrible people who did terrible things, but in prison they've been set free. There is a battle that constantly takes place, not just for the souls of people who don't know Christ, but over us who do know Christ. And we cannot be ignorant. We can't be like an ostr- the proverbial ostrich and stick our heads in the ground and say, I don't want to know anything about this whole heavenly realm and the battle. Listen, if you have kids, Satan's a terrorist. He's coming for your kids. He will seek a way to deceive them and lead them astray. And we need to pray. Don't assume because your kids grew up in a Christian home that you're okay. You know, we've experienced this with our kids. And thankfully, they've all come back to the Lord, but the battle was terrible. But we cried out to God and we said, God, please reveal yourself to them. You have people all over the place and you have angels and you can reveal yourself to people. I'll just tell you one quick story before we end. And, you know, we were, we were in the hospital this was many years ago. Our daughter Gabriella was having a surgery. I forget what the surgery was. And as we were there, um, I can't remember if it was the prep room or the post-op room, but as we were there, the nurse that was assigned to us kept, you know, kind of coming in and out. She was just beaming, just almost glowing. And as we were sitting there, she just came over. And I think at, at risk of her job, she just kind of said, you know, can I pray for you guys? And we're like, absolutely. We know the Lord. Would you pray for us? She said, great. And she prayed for us. And we looked at her and we said, you know, we're Christians. And, you know, we, told, we, this, we just started talking. And you see, God had her there in that place. She's serving God as a nurse in the, the pre or post-op, whatever she was. Just loving people and just, you know, hey, how can I pray for you? And I'm sure there were many times she probably just laid her hand on someone and prayed for them without them knowing it. And God has people like that everywhere, doesn't he? And I know from, from my kids, I, as they, they grew up and were going out of the house and doing all the stuff they were doing, that's what we prayed. We said, God, you got people like that nurse, and you can do something. Maybe they won't hear it from me, but maybe they'll hear it from them. So pray for those kinds of people. And all of your, your family members and people you love who don't know the Lord, pray for them in that way. God, reveal yourself to them. Send someone to them. If they won't listen to me, maybe they'll listen to you through someone else. See, there is a battle and we have to be attuned to that battle and we have to pray and be faithful and seek God. Now, if you have people you're praying for, let me encourage you this morning, be strong, be very courageous. Don't give up hope. As long as there's light, as long as there's breath, there's hope. And even if somebody's lying on a coma in a bed, Go to them, read the scriptures, pray over them. Maybe it's weird. That's fine. Let it be weird because their soul is at stake. That's what matters. Will they one day be in the presence of Jesus? I hope so. I hope we're all going to be there. And I hope all those people we're praying for will be there as well. Amen. Lord, we love you this morning. We bless you. We thank you that you're so faithful, God. You're so good.
Thank you that, as that scripture says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Maybe we need that here this morning, Lord, in our lives. And as you revealed yourself to Daniel, Lord, as we've been going through this, we've been so impressed by that, that you've been so faithful to reveal yourself to him. Lord, would you reveal yourself to us? Lord, change us, transform us. Lord, right now as we sit here, maybe we feel weak and frail and hopeless and helpless and all of that, but by the power of your spirit, especially as we sing this last song, would you infuse us with the power of the spirit? Would you give us hope? And as our brother Steve said with the psalm, Lord, hope. Hope in God. The psalmist said in Psalm 42, hope in God for I shall yet praise him. Maybe our praise is yet future, but let's bring it into the present. And let's praise you now. Let's worship you now, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness, God. If there's any here today... Uh, in this room or listening or even later listening to the recording, God, would you reveal yourself to them and may they in this moment just believe in you and say, Jesus, I do believe. Lord, I invite you into my life and I want to trust you. And I don't even know what it means. I just want to follow you. I'm tired. I'm tired of the, the struggles and, you know, doing things that don't matter and all of that. Lord, just show me. Show me who you are. Show me how you want me to live. And if you'll do that this morning, you will be born into the kingdom of God. You will be born again. And you will become his son or his daughter. And those words, beloved, will now apply to you in a new way. God, we love you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship.